A reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came toward to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set upon the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were descending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Excuse me. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel. But the name of the city was loose at, the, at first. Then J Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in that way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to the Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house, and of all that you give me. I will surely give one-tenth of that. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. I don't know about you, but I love to dream. This wasn't always the case, though. Because as a small child, most of my dreams were nightmares. I remember this one recurring dream that I would have where a small cartoon character was chasing me and chasing me and chasing me. And I would run and run and run from this little cartoon character until I reached the edge of a cliff. And I was so scared that I ran right off the cliff and would fall and fall and fall until right before I hit the ground... I would wake up. Now, you can psychoanalyze that if you want to. And that was pretty scary. But not as scary as the dreams that seem to be happening right there in my room. And somewhat ironically, now that I think about this, almost all of them involved bears. There was this recurring dream or kind of hallucination where I would look out the window in my bedroom and I would just see a large bear staring back through it 
at me. Maybe he was inviting me to future attendance at Baylor. I don't know. But I would see this bear staring at me. Or even more terrifying, I would see this stairway appear right beside my bed, coming from my ceiling down to the floor right below. And as I would look out to the top of this stairway, I would see an opening. And what I saw up there was absolutely terrifying. A bear was running down through the ceiling carrying a pail of water. Now, I don't know what that means, but carrying a pail of water ready to throw it on me. And so I would get so scared, I would get up and, 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 and run out of the room with my face buried in my pillow, finding my way into my parents' room, diving into their bed, and hiding under the sheets. I was telling a friend about this once who had learned a little bit about dream analysis in a psychology class at William Jewell College. And when I got to the part about the stairway, she stopped me and said, oh, a staircase. Well, that definitely means something. And if you're curious, it means I have issues. <clears throat> Don't we all? In fact, <clears throat> Scripture tells us that Jacob, weary from his journey laid his head on a rock, fell asleep and dreamed not of a ladder, as our text indicates, but of a staircase. Apparently, Jacob also had issues. And I wonder what they were. What was it that fueled the fire of this particular dream? Maybe he was disturbed by the fact that his brother was trying to kill him. He had just swindled him out of his birthright. Or maybe he was apprehensive about his journey. His mother and father had sent him away in hopes of finding a wife and also escaping the wrath of his big brother. Or maybe, just maybe, that stairway somehow symbolized his relationship with his mother. Pretty Freudian, right? His mother had sort of made him her chosen son. It did seem that she was the one pulling his strings. Maybe the image of God at the top of that stairway was actually her. I don't know. I, I don't know. Or maybe, just maybe, it was that he was having issues of a different kind. Maybe, just maybe, this dream actually had little to do with who Jacob was or what he had done. Maybe it was just that Jacob had fallen asleep in the right place at the right time. My dad and I were actually talking about this last weekend, about how Celtic people, as you know, believe there are thin places in this world, places where the veil between this world and the next are so sheer you can almost step through it. And Jacob was certain, certain that he had not only met with God, but that this was one of those places in the world where the veil between earth and heaven had worn thin. So that he awoke from his holy slumber and he proclaimed, surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. And how many times in our life have we proclaimed something similar? How many times over this past year, in fact, have we proclaimed with our lips or at least our hearts something like that? Surely the Lord was in this place and I hadn't anticipated. I wasn't aware of it. 
How many times has this pandemic sort of changed our routines so that we're finding more time outside walking or, 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 or running? We're, we're, we're worshiping on porches or back decks or even in places like this out at a winery of all places. How many times even beyond this pandemic have we found ourselves in worship services or on family camping trips or on mountain hikes or strolling by a stream and had this moment where it seemed like God was more present with us in that moment than in any other time in our lives, and we've proclaimed surely the Lord was in that place. We weren't ready for it. We didn't anticipate it. We weren't aware of it. Surely the Lord was in this place, Jacob said, but I did not know it. I do have to wonder, though, Was it really the place that was so special or was it something else? Because for Jacob, holy geography was the only possible explanation, you know, because Jacob actually had no concept of a singular universal God. This is an idea that's difficult for many of us to grapple with because most of us read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation with the assumption that our biblical heroes always knew and assumed there was only one God who was Lord of all creation. But we have to remember that these people, like us, were still trying to figure God out. And at this point in their history, they still believed that Yahweh was only one God among Many. And this is why, while Jacob was impressed with God's presence in his dream, he wasn't overwhelmed by it. Because this wasn't the God. This was just a God. And at this point in his life, Jacob hadn't actually even claimed this God as his God. In fact, prior to Genesis chapter 28, there's nothing in the Bible about Jacob's faith or piety. And, and Jacob hadn't actually even mentioned the name of Yahweh until Genesis chapter 27, the chapter right before this. And when he mentioned Yahweh's name, he did it in order to steal his father's blessing from his brother. And that incident combined with this one should tell us all we need to know about how little Jacob actually knew of the God of Abraham and Isaac. Oh, Jacob definitely had issues. But perhaps his biggest issue wasn't one of geography or genealogy, but was one of destiny. Perhaps the issue at hand was really that Jacob was being pursued relentlessly by the God of the universe, and it seemed now that even that God was going to have to try harder to win Jacob's affections. For Jacob... God still had some proving to do. Jacob says in the text we heard, for now I'll call this God's special place. But eventually, if and only if God comes through on what I heard God promise in that dream, then I'll come back here. Then I'll give a tithe to this God. And then I'll let Yahweh be my God. Then I'll let Yahweh be my God. If and only if, when and only when. Can you imagine responding to God like that? Seems like a pretty audacious way to respond to God, doesn't it? Though often no more than you or I. I remember when I was in high school, and I've shared this story with you a couple of times before, when my best friend James was in an automobile accident that left him paralyzed from the chest down. 
I was a teenager at that time and hadn't experienced much tragedy in my life. So when this happened, it really shook me. It really shook me to the core of my being. And I remember that night after hours in the hospital waiting for news, I, I, I went home late that night and I, I went up to my room and I buried my face in my pillow in my bed and I began to pray, God, if you would just, God, if you would only, it was a prayer of desperation. I bargained with God for James's health promising that I would give things up and take things on in my life if God would only heal my friend. Most of us have done things like this in our lives. Most of us have asked God to prove it a time or two. We've bargained for healing when our children were sick. We've pledged our obedience for a few divine favors. We've asked for an end to all kinds of obstacles, especially over the course of this past year. We've demanded signs and wonders, little mini miracles in exchange for our faith. We've asked for trivial things like parking spaces and green lights. We've asked for larger things like, God, please help me to believe. But actually, this is not what Jacob was doing. In fact, in some ways, our bargaining is much more audacious than Jacob's because we know or at least claim to know things about God that Jacob never knew. See, see, Jacob never saw God part the Red Sea. That's not part of Jacob's story. Jacob wasn't there when David slew Goliath with a slingshot. Jacob had no memory of Elijah's fiery ascent into heaven on a chariot. Jacob never knew that this God would be present with his people throughout slavery in Egypt, throughout the destruction of Jerusalem, throughout their exile in Babylon. Jacob never knew that this God, the, the God of his father and grandfather, was also the Lord of all creation who would one day send God's only son to redeem us all. Jacob never knew any of that. And so when Jacob says, prove it to this God, he doesn't think he's challenging the Most High God. No, in Jacob's God, he's ask, in Jacob's mind, he's asking a family God. He's asking a God of the land to put his money where his mouth is, to prove that this tribal God is capable of delivering on a global promise, to prove that this God will continue to be with him and keep him secure. Jacob wants proof that this God is worth his time and his affection. And if God will continue to be with him, if God will continue to keep him secure, if and only if, then this God will be his God. Then he will make an altar in this place. And then he will worship God. If and only if. When and only when. See, Jacob was doing what Jacob did. Jacob was bargaining. Only Jacob didn't know who he was dealing with. He didn't realize, and this is something we've, we've claimed so often and clung to so often over the course of this past year. Jacob didn't realize that this God was the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Jacob was bargaining for God's presence and God's security. He didn't understand that these were things that had already been given to him the moment they were promised. There was probably nothing particularly holy about this place. It was a thin place that became thin on God's initiative. 
God was giving Jacob a glimpse into God's vision of reality. But Jacob wasn't ready to take hold of that vision yet. Jacob had already given, been given more than he could have ever bargained for. And he didn't even know it. And so, Jacob was bargaining for more. Reminds me of a story that one of my mentors told me about when he, when he planted his church about 40 years ago. My mentor told me that he wanted to do something great for God. And for him, doing something great for God meant that he would plant a church that would grow into a mega church and thousands and thousands of people would be there in attendance each and every Sunday. And over time, my friend Bob began to see his dream come true. The church continued to outgrow its worship spaces. They continued to baptize more believers. But no matter what happened, no matter how large the church grew, no matter how many great things they were celebrating, it wasn't enough. They could never grow fast enough. They could never be creative enough, impressive enough, good enough. In his mind, there was never much to celebrate because nothing was ever enough. You know, a pastor and a person can't go on for very long with that kind of personal pressure. He became stressed out and was nearing burnout until something happened. He found himself in the midst of a holy moment. And in the midst of this moment of prayer where he was pleading with God for more, he sensed God's response. Bob, God asked, when will Jesus be enough for you? When will Jesus be enough for you? The truth of that moment left my friend speechless. He realized that God had already given him everything, much more than he deserved. And it wasn't enough. None of it was enough. Jesus wasn't enough. And he knew it. And I think we know it too. I think we know it too. I think we know that sometimes we, we, we're thinking that if we could only have things exactly how we want them, if we could only have this one missing piece in place, sometimes if we could only be, be married to the right person or, or if our family would only do the right things or if we could only have the, the right house or the right salary or the right job, if, 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 if people would only do what we want them to do, when we want them to do it and how we want them to do it, if we could only possess all of the things we so desperately want, all of the things we assume we so desperately need, then that would be enough. We dream of the day when everything we want, when everything we assume we need, when everything we may already have in Christ will be ours. Then, and only then, that would be enough. Please hear me. I'm not trying to trivialize our hopes and our needs. I know there are many here today who are praying for healing, for comfort, for wisdom, for peace, for justice, for understanding. And these are all good things, great things. We're supposed to pray for and long for and work for these kinds of things. But I also know that others of us are plagued by a general feeling of discontent. 
we look around this space and around our homes and around our community and around the internet and around our world and we compare ourselves to everyone else. We have this this unending longing and sometimes even a sense of entitlement, feeling that we're entitled to a much larger piece of the American dream. And if God would only give us all the things we want and wish for, well, then that would be enough. Then we'd be satisfied. Then we could find some peace, some joy. Then our lives would mean something. Then and only then we'd be happy. And for all of us who spend our lives longing for this kind of satisfaction, for all of us who continue to live with this sense of unfulfilled entitlement, I have to ask, when will Jesus be enough? When will all God has already given us be enough? It may, be, it may seem like a simplistic question, but I think one worth pondering. When will Jesus be enough? Because in the end, I think we're all fine that we spend a lot of time and energy wishing, waiting, worrying, and even bargaining over things we already had, didn't need, or weren't quite ready for yet. In the end, I think we'll see the emptiness in our ambition and the fruitlessness of our worry. In the end, I think we'll see the purpose in our wondering and we'll realize that we really were a part of a much larger story. In the end, I think we'll see our lives through the eyes of God and we'll finally understand that we really were a people of destiny. In the end, I think we'll discover, just as Jacob did, that we were being relentlessly pursued throughout every twist and turn of our lives by a holy God. And with this God, we already had far more than we could have ever bargained for.